The Video Insiders is the show that makes sense of all that is happening in the world of online video, as seen through the eyes of a second-generation Kodak nerd and a marketing guy who knows what iframes and macro blocks are. And here are your hosts, Mark Donegan and Dror Gill. Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Video Insiders. Hi, Mark. How are you doing? Hey, I'm doing great, Drawer. It's awesome to be back on the microphone, as always, with you and with our amazing guest that we have today. Yes, truly amazing guest and a true video insider. We are hosting today the president of the Ultra HD Forum, Thierry Faucher. Hello, Thierry. Hello, Drawer. Hello, Mark. Hi, Thierry. It's so awesome to have you on the show. Welcome. Yes, so thank you for having me, and I will uh, briefly introduce myself. So I'm uh, during the day Vice President of Video Strategy at Harmonic, in charge of long-term subjects, innovation, standards, participation to industry groups, and also the assigned speaker for the company at various conferences. In the night job, I am President of the Ultra HD Forum, which is a group of 42 companies, now with about 500 indirect members, who is helping the deployment of Ultra HD in our industry. I'm very happy to be invited today by Beamer, one of our team members who believes that in order to bring Ultra HD at reasonable bit rates, you need a damn good compression technology. I believe this will be an important element of our discussion today. Great. So thanks a lot for that uh, introduction. And uh, you probably get asked a lot, why do we need another standards forum? And I know the UHD forum is uh, creating guidelines and not standards. And I think those guidelines are very important because we have so many standards, but you need to uh, bring them all together into a single ecosystem and define actual workflows that will work for all the players in the industry, right? So I guess a lot of the work that the Ultra HD Forum is doing is uh, guiding the players on which standards to use and which parameters they need to implement so the systems from different vendors will talk to each other, right? That's correct. And I would like maybe to make a clarification. So there are standard-defining organizations like DDD, ATSC, CTA, and CMT who are all defining technical elements in the Ultra HD future. What the Ultrahd Forum has decided to do is to write guidelines, meaning like cookbook, bringing all these different standards together in a well-orchestrated way, such that operators like uh, a direct TV or podcast, uh, an OTT provider, will be able to use those guidelines and hopefully launch with success their services. And we have been working for the last four years on our guidelines. We were releasing at IBC our 2.1 version. And we have also done, in parallel to those guidelines, several campaigns of interoperability in private circles with members and partner groups like the CTA in the US, the DPG in UK, the UK, Platform in Germany, but also making public demonstrations which are very well attended at NAB on IBC. Is that enough? Not really, if you see what happened at the first NFL game broadcast by Fox in HDR to MVPDs and also through its app on Apple TV and Roku TV. And the challenge we see is that even if we have defined guidelines, even if we have documented everything, we still see glitches and we try to explain what happened. So just to make the guidelines in few words, we basically have defined a foundation, which was called phase A before, where we defined 4K, right gamut and HDR, which was HDR called HRG, on which we can plug additional layer, which is the high frame rate, the next generation object-based audio, and content-aware encoding. So in 2018 and 2019, we saw the foundation following our guideline being deployed, which makes us feel good, of course, and our members, AT&T, Sky Perfect TV, Sky UK, KPM, BBC, and Comcast, were the first to deploy Ultra HD HDR. So before we run, we must work and we focus on this uh, foundation specification guidelines. The second challenge we can see in this market is the business model. Uh, I don't know if you guys saw it, IBC, they were 
very stellar number of 40% penetration of UHD sets in Europe and US, with sometimes only a few channels available in UHD, which means people are either watching UHD or are going on to the VOD to watch their Netflix and their Amazon content. But today, we are a bit disappointed not to see more takeoff. And that's why we take with a lot of concern the fact that the Fox NFL content should be able to be watched on any type of platform. So, in summary, the forum brings guidelines, documented, tested, and evangelized. We assist access to premium content. You recall we had the FIFA World Cup content being tested into our blood test. Interesting, of course, also brings its own content, whether the production team with our members. We are also working very hard on watermarking specification to see some cool API coming by CS. And of course, we document technology which is used in other applications, like the content we are coming. And this was, I think, a good move from the firm to bring to specify why we need it, how we want to. Yes, it's really important work that uh, the forum is doing. And, you know, thank you for your leadership, uh, Thierry. I know that Beamer, we're, you know, very happy to uh, be playing our our small part. You know, as you said, there's um, dozens of companies who are also very, very active. I know that um, you and I both heard uh, the same research from IHS at IBC, and um, I'm going to refer to a a statistic or, I guess, data that I think shocked me, and I'd be curious to hear your reaction. And that was that um, when they polled consumers about buying uh, UHD televisions, uh, and and I can't recall if this also applied to 8K, I think this was limited just to 4K, that that actually having content available was not a significant buying factor. And in fact, I think if I recall correctly, it was even that it played no uh, role in someone deciding to buy a UHD TV. That seems, I I was a little bit disappointed by that. (laughs) I was hoping that the consumer was going to be pounding on the table more saying, Hey, you know, I've got this awesome TV or, you know, yes, where's my content. But um, I think that situation is going to be changing. But was that surprising to you, Terry? When you heard that? Yes and no, because my wife, when I wanted to buy uh, two years ago, a UHD TV said, she told me, where's the content? And I said, well, you have it on Netflix, but you don't have it on broadcast. She told me, okay, let's wait and see we have decent content on broadcast. And I think some people might delay their decision. Some people might not have any choice if I go to Best Buy in the U.S., I cannot find any exactly. HD you can't even buy sale. an HD TV. <laughs> it's not possible. You combine so, which means the TV guys are around the world. They sold their device. The question: How that's about right. the consumer that's right. satisfaction? Yeah, my thinking is this. You know, and and part of why I I bring this this particular data point up is that uh, you know you you can interpret it a couple ways. You know, and, and you know if someone's looking for an excuse to not do the work and and um, upgrade their systems to be able to support 4k well then that's then then they might be happy to hear that like see the customers don't even care they buy the you know like that's not a driver in their purchase and they're not disappointed I don't see it that way. The way that I see it is, is that this is an incredible opportunity for services to now compete because, because as a consumer, once you've been exposed to UHD, and I mean in all of its glory, 4K, HDR, supported properly, <laughs> you know, um, uh, I mean, there's no going back. I mean, there's not anybody, you do not have to be even a remote video file to be able to say that looks awesome and it's a better experience. And so my thesis and, you know, what we talk and I'm, I'm sure Terry, you know, like you say, even in your day job, you're probably doing the same thing, talking to your customers. And I know the industry, you know, as a whole, Talking to these services, these service providers, especially on the OTT streaming side, to say, you know, look, when the customer gets exposed and they see how great UHD can look, 
they're not going to go back. They, they, they no longer will settle <laughs> for what previously they thought was okay. It was pretty good. So I think it represents a huge opportunity for service providers to really take serious the opportunity here. And I'm sure you would agree with that. Yes, I agree. And this is actually why we have created the Neutrality Forum, because we say, okay, if there is content on one hand, let's say Netflix and Amazon, if there are TVs on the other hand, how do we connect both? And we know there is the UHD Alliance who has done a great job to explain HDR and to talk to consumer and to put even some uh, logos on TVs, on some TVs. But our job is to make sure the mechanics works. And I think we have achieved that level, although we see some glitches. But the next big challenge is to convince the content producers to invest the broadcaster to broadcast in the HD, and sometimes they go HD, they tell you, oh, it costs too much money, let's do HD, 1080p, 50, 60 in HDR. So I think this industry, I think, is now at a much more mature stage than it was four years ago when we started the venture of the Ultra HD front. And now it's up to us to transform, convince the content people, support the broadcasters, uh, uh, work with different countries. We have China, we have Brazil, we have France, we have um, Spain even is going to do a forum in Spain uh, in the next uh, coming weeks. So I see a real motion. The train has left the station, as we say in English. We can't go back. It's very dangerous to take the train back because you might hit another train. <laughs> I like, I like that them. analogy. That's great. I think it's... <laughs> yes, that's please, a good one. Please quote too. me yeah, on like that it. one. But uh, the industry now is in a much better shape. We have seen the World Cup. We see NFL. We see hopefully more live events. And of course, what I say to my customer, I tell them, you guys complain about Netflix, but Netflix is doing UHD, HDR for the last two years. And you are still debating if you should That's invest right. in this technology. And there was a very interesting, uh, if you look on, on my Twitter feed, there was an interesting, Yuri has made a good analysis of what are the broadcaster, pay TV operator, Netflix doing in terms of resolution versus what the people purchase. And you see the broadcaster on SD migrating to HD, service provider are moving very slowly on UHD, while you see Netflix, all of their production are UHD. And guess what people are buying today? UHD set. So I think this is a very good indication that some service providers got it, some others got it less, and let's help those who are at the bottom of the of the room and we don't really always understand what consumers do and make sure they will provide their content because the broadcaster content providers have a huge libraries and capability to bring consumer. And I know that um, the UHD forum is also tracking deployments of uh, UHD services, VOD over the top, broadcast satellite, all of that. Can you give us just... Um, some data points on where we stand today with the UHD deployment? Yes, yes. So first, well, it's a work in progress. As you know, we have a, now a, a tracker service we are going to announce hopefully in the coming months. But we are counting today 56 services. This is not the channels. I think Utelsat is tracking 150 channels, live channels. Where some of them are event-based. And on the live channel, I think we have about 24% of the services which are HDR, which is not too bad compared to what we see when we think maybe some channels are still in SDR. And uh, for example, in UK, you see now uh, you get the BT announce, uh, the UK Premier League, UPL in HDR. Uh, you have a Media Pro in Spain also producing UHD HDR. So those are the most expensive content rights you can dream of for live. And I think this is for me a sign. We have, of course, the World Cup, if you recall, available in HDR. In some countries, at some operators, not everywhere, but BBC was able to stream 50,000 uh, concurrent sessions on the iPlayer in UK. So for me, the proof is in the pudding. The content is there. The technology is there. And although we see some glitches sometimes, 
we are asking on the right track. Yeah, and for our listeners who you know want to go to the website, um, you can get there just by going to the ultrahdforum.org. And, um, you know, the trackers up there and, you know, a lot of the references that we're making throughout the podcast, um, you know, definitely go to the website. So just make that comment. So we talked about the, the role of guidelines and the importance of guidelines. And I think it's a, it's a good time to talk about CAE, which was introduced in the phase B guidelines. And, you know, let's, I, I think we wanted to spend uh, the majority of our time actually talking about CAE because one of the things that, and, and I know, Terry, you know, we, we certainly have talked privately and also within the context of the forum enough, both of our companies are, are evangelizing heavily, is um, breaking the notion that the bit rates need to be, you know, 25, 30, even 35 or 36 megabits. Uh, and I think there's still this kind of closely held belief that uh, it's not even possible for me as a, you know, as a broadcaster, for me as a pay TV operator or as an OTT service to uh, send 4K to my customer because the bit rates are just too high. So I know we want to spend some time talking about, you know, why, what CAE is and why we introduced that. And uh, Beamer worked, you know, very closely with Brightcove and, you know, with you and Harmonic to make sure that this great technology was in the guidelines. So maybe you can, um, uh, first of all, give a brief explanation of CA and, uh, and then let's, you know, let's spend some time talking about uh, its contribution uh, to reducing bitrate. Yeah. Sometimes you use the, the same acronym, but it means differently, like content-aware encoding or content-adaptive or context-aware, but it's still CAE, all of those. Luckily, Absolutely. it's the same acronym. At least, yeah, exactly. It's, it's like the United Nations. We all agree yeah, on the logo. We behind it, but okay. It's an it's a intelligent way uh, to bring the bitrate at the variable bitrate depending on the content complexity the encoder will modulate the bitrate depending on the content complexity it's a bit similar to what we did uh, 10 years ago or even 15 years ago with the VBR for the stat marks, except here the channel is by itself or the asset is by itself so netflix has been very popular with the vod in 2015 they introduced this per title encoding concept and of course, the challenge for us is not the title, it's in real time. We need to make the proper decision in order to bring the bitrate in an adaptive way. And there are also ways where you could decimate the resolution in real time, which might not be welcomed by content providers, especially at Ultra HD. So, resolution. I will provide you some data. For example, the FIFA World Cup uh, in HDR BBC was delivering Ultra HD from 15 up to 36 megabits per second. And what was interesting is that 50% of the UHD customers who have a UHD set were able to receive this uh, UHD at uh, 15 megabits per second, which is not bad. Now, if I take the state of the internet report published by Akamai, and if I bring a 25 megabit stream in the European Union, it's about 10% of the population. If I bring it down to 15 megabit per second, having a saving of 40% versus 25, then I'm going to be at 40% of the population. So the takeaway is CAE enables you to reach more USD subscribers on existing infrastructure, no need to invest in expensive uh, fiber connectivity you can reach existing customer just apply contact-aware encoding. And the, the reason I'm taking this example is because we, Harmonic, Beamer, Brightco, have shown that IBC 2018, with completely different implementation, a 40% bitrate gain versus the classical CDR approach using CLE from four, three different companies. So this shows that the numbers we have been advertising have been proven on content, which I think was quite uh, challenging. If you recall, draw this regatta yeah, with a yeah. lot the of rowing uh, in the water and all of that. Water, water and, and 
my, my video engineer say, why you pick that sequence? I say, because we can't show easy contact. If it's the butterflies of NHK, nobody will trust us. So I think we have to be critical on our side, on the vendor community, but also articulate the value proposition for operators. And at the end of the day, every bit counts. So this 40% reduction on UHD, I think for me, is a huge milestone for our industry. And of course, uh, we yeah, and I think that, that breaking that notion, separating bitrate from quality, is is very important because for years, you know, people were saying, yeah, but uh, you know, we I I want to encode at a higher bitrate because I want to reach higher quality, or uh, um, in in other words, I don't want to reduce bitrate here because it will hurt the quality. Well, there, there is not a one-to-one relationship between quality and bitrate because there's another parameter there, which is the content itself. So for some content, let's say for very difficult content, yes, if you reduce the bitrate, you will hurt the quality. So on that type of content, you shouldn't reduce the bitrate. But when the content is easy, when you have slow uh, motion, uh, when you have uh, smooth textures, when you don't have a lot of movement or action, that's when you can reduce the bitrate. And you don't have to stay with a fixed bitrate of encoding the whole sequence or, Thierry, as you mentioned, the whole live uh, transmission when you do even a sports event. Uh, sometimes you have uh, the high action sport on the field or and, uh, and other times you have two people talking in the studio to each other. So, you know, you don't need a very high bitrate for all of the transmission, you can keep those bits to where they are really needed and in other places uh, reduce the bitrate and give a better experience to those who have a lower bandwidth connection. So, um, you know, Terry, you and I were on a panel at IBC uh, talking about CAE and um, and it was a great discussion and, you know, Yuri uh, Resnick from Brightcove and, and there were some other great panelists. But I think one of the most astute observations relating to what Dror just said um, was made by Madeline Noland, you know, who's, who's uh, of course, very active on, uh, in the forum and also president of ATSC. And you'll remember what she said, right? She said, the industry has got to stop defining quality based on a bitrate number. And that just... I was like, you know, I almost want to, you know, stand up like in church, you know, and shout hallelujah, because, because, <laughs> because, because we all know, um, and, and I, I can remember making the observation as well. And, you know, Terry, maybe you, you have some experience to share as well, where in some cases an operator said, okay, this is fine and dandy, but if I reduce bitrate, now my downstream systems are going to assume it's low quality video and they're going to reject the signal. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's just crazy. And uh, and so the fact now that the industry is coming around and understanding that just because um, you're you know, maybe transmitting a certain resolution at 40% less bits does not have to mean, now it may mean there's lower quality, but it doesn't have to mean that that's reduced quality or lower quality. But I think if you if you see what we have done in the forum, when I started to push this idea, people say, oh, but this is an encoder technology. And the fact we bring that into a community of companies, we publish that into guidelines, people see the results, they say, yes, it works, and we demonstrate it works. It's much more powerful because nobody wants to standardize this type of thing. We, we can't standardize the motion estimation of uh, MPEG-2. In the same way, we cannot standardize the way we do CAE. But working together, demonstrating same result coming from different approach, I think for me, it's a very powerful uh, example of uh, the industry getting its act together and uh, what we do is, of course, much, much more complicated than what Netflix or others do, because Rose knows it. When you do that in real time, it's not the same as the offline. Uh, and, and another notion that uh, that people have is that when you do this content adaptive um, encoding and you play around with the bitrate, sometimes it can confuse the player. You know, and we haven't seen it. We've done deployments. I've never saw this uh, issue, but people are concerned about it. Do, do you hear a similar concern from the industry? Yes, I see that. I'm hearing that. And also I see players doing bad things. Like, for example, when we do 
or CA is free and will declare the top bitrate at 5 megabits per second, some players are taking 5 megabits as the bitrate, while some others, when it's smarter, are measuring dynamically the bitrate and figure out it's not 5, it's 2.5. And I think we also need to educate the player community that the bitrate is what you measure, it's not what is declared. So that's, I think, for me, the first thing to check. On the interoperability, we have tested many players. I've never seen a player not being to play. Does the player make a right decision? This is something we need to check. But again, here it's a back to the interpretation in the player. And I've not seen anything being uh, clearly written, either the Apple spec or the Dash I spec. Nobody has clearly said how the player should uh, measure the bitrate. Has CAE been part of your interrupt testing yet? I think we have done testing, yes, with multiple players, but we have not been able to measure if the transition was done in the right way. That's what we need to do. That's the second level of uh, testing is that does the player behave as expected? First target is does the player play? Second is does the player play properly? Yeah, something else that I think uh, we a point we need to make, which by now should be clear, but just in case any any of the listeners are, are wondering, we are talking about um, working fully inside the standard of HEVC. So these are not solutions that um, need to, you know, they're not proprietary. They are proprietary in terms of how they how they achieve uh, the bitrate reduction, but the final bitstream is fully standards compliant, and uh, and that of course is why. Um, uh, yes, there can be some issues on the player side, as Thierry you know, just mentioned, but that but but those issues are almost always outside of CAE. So it's not that, you know, it's just important. And we certainly, I, I know, would want the audience to understand that um, this is not a technology that, sure, uh, it can reduce bitrate 40%, but now I've got to go upgrade all my players in the field, you know, which is pretty much a non-starter. And um, that's something that, you know, certainly Harmonic, um, you guys would understand that because, you know, you're, you're selling uh, into a standards-based ecosystem. And um, we learned this very, very early on uh, at Beamer that, um, y- you know, you could provide an amazing result, maybe even an 80% reduction in bitrate. But if it requires, um, you know, something that's non-standard and replacing players in the field, it, it, it really is not commercially viable. It's, it's just not feasible. So I think that's an important point to make. Maybe also one uh, important aspect is iOS 11, when it was released, was clearly allowing VBR behavior as opposed to the CBR behavior previous uh, iOS release. And this was, I think, a, a big boost mm, from Apple. In terms of HLS uh, performance. Yeah, that. yeah, that's right. Yeah, HLS, HLS. And that's, I think, very important. You can't do something without Apple. You saw low latency announced by Apple uh, two years behind Dash. Uh, sometimes Apple takes time, but also sometimes Apple is understanding that if there is good saving to be done, it's a way to optimize an end-to-end solution. I think Apple is also very supportive. Yeah, that's for that. right. And, and they, they relax the guidelines saying that you can go up to 200% in your bitrate and not just 110, like 10% more. Um, and and this uh, this this really changed things. You know, it gives you more flexibility, and eventually, when when this enables a reduction in uh, bandwidth, when you do encoding in a smart way, it affects the playback experience. You know, lower bit rates means faster start, less buffering, and all of those uh, nice uh, advantages that you have in streaming. Yeah, for sure. What are uh, let's address CAE in the context of um, VOD and live uh, in terms of like live linear. Uh, so are there some differences? Um, do all the systems, do we know if all the systems work for both live and VOD or do some only work VOD, some only live? Um, what can you tell us, Thierry? What, what, the, what This is more with my harmonic hat because the, the forum, as you know, doesn't go that deep into the live VOD and then what are the tools uh, deployed. But I would say for VOD, you have a lot of techniques which have been demonstrated, so the per title, uh, per chunk encoding, and because it's VOD, you can do a lot of changes. You can change 
the resolution of the profile. Uh, this you don't do that typically for live because you know some of your device cannot uh, switch easily the resolution. But I believe over time the change of resolution will be part of the live uh, CAE system. Of course, it has to be an HTTP client who is basically capable of switching resolution. This is probably not possible in the broadcast world because the broadcast uh, device have always been uh, able to do a single resolution because easily change the resolution system. So I think VOD is ahead of the pack. Live is coming first on the bitrate production, but further optimization to cover that's interesting i i actually wasn't aware that changing resolution was uh i mean I, that could be a technique for reducing bitrate obviously um but it seems to me like that just kind of falls into adaptive bitrate technologies um no but but in general i think mark if you have uh let's say per title um optimization in, uh, uh, in netflix yes, where you yes. create uh, dynamically, the ABR set, the optimal set of resolutions and bitrate. So you treat it as a whole problem of what are the optimal resolutions and bitrate for my content. And you do this for VOD content. Now, if you would do this for live content and dynamically create the set, and then at one point in time, you want to switch from, let's say, four layers to three layers, you know, then you, you would force on, on some of the layers a change of resolution. Uh, which not all players support, and obviously in broadcast, that that is not um, that is not supported. So yeah, that th that is a limitation. But uh, uh, for uh, systems that you know work and at the frame level, uh, you can really do live because frames as they come in, they're being analyzed, and you can allocate the right number of bits for um, um, for every frame, and uh, and be content adaptive even in live. Of course, this means that the process that you employ to do the content adaptive encoding has to be have a kind of low CPU footprint because you, you need to be able to apply it within uh, within the time frame of one frame. Now, another question we get asked a lot is, okay, so I have uh, 1080p 60 sports content. How much savings am I going to get? Uh, I always get asked this question, and also, uh, you know, last month at IBC. It came up uh, again and again, and you know, customers want to know: Am I always going to get the forty percent for for everything? So you know, and and it's important for us as as an industry, um, especially when we are you know working together in, inside the UHD forum, not to set the expectation too high and and to be realistic. And I always tell the customers, you know, if you take a 1080p 60 video, and a sports video and encode it into one megabit um, at the source, and that's your target, and you want to reduce from that, you can't. You can't reduce. The quality is already so bad that any further reduction cannot preserve quality, no matter what you do. So you have to be uh, realistic here. And uh, um, content adaptive can, can work when you have a certain uh, level of quality, you know, that is minimal, that is watchable. And, and then you have in, in the places that are not your full motion, you know, um, high energy uh, sections of the video, you have that slack that enables you to, to reduce the bitrate. But still, you need to start from some uh, reasonable encode in order to enable uh, the encoder to, to uh, adapt its parameters according to the content. So in other words, what, you know, Thierry, in your experience, um, what sort of bitrate savings are you, you know, are you seeing and how are you answering that question when someone says, oh, can I always get, you know, 40% or, you know, I, we'd be very curious. Uh, yes. So first, as you know, working for Harmonic, any bitrate number has to be related to the content and the criteria of acceptance of the quality. So in general, we let the customer test based on its content. The information I can share with you this today is that across a wide variety of content for a very long period of time, uh, our customers are measuring in average a 40% saving. If you look at the soccer, the football, grass-based content with high motion, for sure you will not get that high. But let me give you one anecdote on American football. There's so much cut 
of advertisements during a one-hour game that you are going to save a lot of bits on the advertisement. Interesting. That, that sounds, Dora, uh, uh, that's pretty consistent with what we see. You know, we... Um, and this is like very public cause it's in all of our marketing materials and everything, but you know, 20 to 50%, there just isn't any file generally speaking that we can't at least save 20%, you know, even the most, uh, advanced content, uh, or complex content. Um, and you know, it can go as high as 50%, but that doesn't mean it's the norm, but that certainly very much, you know, kind of in the range there. Yeah. Yeah. That's, um. Interesting. Well, y- y- you know, Thierry, let's um, l- let's talk about the future, but not like the future as in five years, you know, but the future as in like the next twelve months, you know, to the next eighteen months, and and I guess we can um, break this discussion into a couple uh, parts. And the first part would be relative to the UHD forum, and uh, and then I think it would be uh, excellent to end, you know, with just a broader kind of an industry. What's coming, you know, for the industry? What are the hot trends? But let's talk about UHD Forum first. Tell us what's on deck, you know, for the next uh, uh, 12 months or so. Perfect. So I will first start with what was demonstrated at IBC. And if you recall, we had three major demonstrations. The first one was uh, 1080p100 versus 21p60. And on very high motion content, people come to the conclusion that the high frame rate, lower resolution, has more value from consumer quality of experience than the low frame rate at higher resolution. Mm-hmm. And I assume both were scaled to uh, to 2160. Yes, perfect. You were watching that on a UHD TV set with a, a, a display mm-hmm. on the TV. So that's, I think, rented now. Of course, people will tell you, how do I produce uh, P100 or P120? I need to change my uh, uh, production equipment. I need to have maybe uh, uh, IP-based architecture on the, on the production side. So it's not an easy question, but at least we have made our point that HF4 can bring value compared to the traditional UHD, 2160, P50 and 60. Second demonstration, and which was also featured at our masterclass, was the new DVD uh, dynamic metadata specification that is covering Dolby Vision, uh, Technicolor, and Samsung. And we had, as a Dolby member, Dolby was demonstrating on the booth interoperability between Dolby Vision metadata, the DVD way, with a sector box and TV behind it. So it was like the first public demonstration of the Dolby Vision uh, DVD flavor. The third one, which is close to my heart for two reasons. First is uh, 8K, I think, is going to come. Like it or not, same problem. TV guys are going to, to show you more and more 8K TV, so you better know what to do with 8K. And second, uh, back to our CAE conversation, we were able to demonstrate that HCVC has very, very strong legs since we were able to take uh, 8K content, uh, P60 produced by Harmonic, we put that into our CAE encoding system in the cloud, and we were able to compress 8K content at what bitrate mark? I, I, I don't recall what bitrate it was. It was 14. I, I recall 14. 14 megabits per second, and we were showing the equivalent satellite transmission at 65 megabits per second, and the video expert could spot on some... Years of the, you know, of the walls, you could see some macro block effect, but average person at two to three meters away from the screen could not see any difference, which shows that CAE at 8K resolution has probably even more uh, potential than we have at the 4K resolution. And of course, the second important aspect is we were able to stream from the KPN head-end somewhere in Netherlands, IP connection to the IPC at 100 megabits per second, and we were able to stream that to a connected TV of Samsung, the one you buy for. Uh, yeah, we had the same Samsung in our in our booth as store. well. But streaming streaming mark was an interesting piece because people say, "Oh, yes, look at my nice USB demo." And of course, we want to show to people the streaming is coming. And very interesting, next to our booth, we had the NHK watering for the last ten years a, a satellite demonstration on their TV, and of course, they have a, a known technology that brings uh, the bitrate uh, as high as 85 megabits per second. 
So you have all technology broadcast uh, mechanism at 85, same codec, new technology, CAE, cloud-based at 40 megabit. Of course, it's not the same content. We had uh, more charging for that on our booths, how many booths with the first television uh, uh, tennis uh, tournament. For instance, this was higher bitrate among the 30s. But still, it's very encouraging to see that we can win 8K probably at bitrates which are similar to the 4K early days five years ago. So we're also really bullish on... Um 8K. Now, you know, we're also realistic that um, outside of Tokyo, uh, Tokyo Olympics and and a handful of other, you know, really high profile events, it's not that there's um, a whole uh, lot of 8K channels that are going to be coming online. However, um, we we are also very bullish and um, and very excited about the fact that you're absolutely correct. The TV vendors are going to keep pushing resolution. Um, you know, I know I did, um, you, you know, uh, encounter my fair share of cynics, uh, in the industry who kind of rolled their eyes at the notion of 8k thinking, Hey, you know, 4k is not even really here yet from a content perspective. And already, you know, it's like, we're talking 8k, like, you know, are you guys crazy? Um, so, you know, there's certainly some of that mindset, but, but the point is, is that the consumer again, you know, is going to, um, uh, very quickly, you know, within like just 18 or 24 months, AKTVs are not going to be an anomaly in living rooms. And, you know, just as we started out um, this uh, this session, you know, by saying that for those content distributors who really embrace 4K today, once that consumer experiences it, they're, they're no longer going to go back. And the same thing is going to happen with 8K. And we're seeing the same thing as well, Thierry, in terms of, um, uh, of bit rates. You know, we're um, maybe keeping a, a, a little bit different threshold in terms of quality. And so, you know, we weren't demonstrating, uh, we weren't trying to demonstrate so much the real, real, real low bit rate with our 8K. But the point is, is that when you consider that there's still people streaming 4K at 35, 36 megabits, you know, when you're, when you know that you can get under 50 megabits for 8K at the same quality, like that's remarkable. <laughs> that's really amazing. <laughs> so, but because it's also interesting, as I mentioned, you had the, at the IBC on the future of NHK starting to show uh, VVC, yes, the next generation, right. and that code, which can of course bring the bit rate right. by a factor two. But we don't know what are the licensing terms of VVC. Second, we won't see any device before 2022. So what do we do for the next four years? Are we just sitting and waiting, or are we becoming a bit more proactive and showing to people, yes, it's possible, but please use the right technology in order to achieve that goal. And the last point I want to make on this 8K conversation, I think we need to walk away from this channel mentality and be more into streaming assets, which could be a VOD asset, could be a catch-up asset of the big live events like the Olympics. And you know that a lot of people will be sleeping during the live event in Tokyo. So anything that can be offline processed, I think is okay, at least to be very good to Europe and US. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's even some issues, um, you know, like there really isn't a way SDI capture is is a problem for 8k <laughs> the, the capture card yeah yeah, yeah well, you can't even that there's yeah no, there's, there's a lot of issues issue. so you're right uh, about well, files you know being well, uh uh should, should not be ignored in you know in terms of uh yeah input yeah so what else uh theory besides the 8k what are your main uh so besides Yes, I think I think on the on the UHD, of course, you recall there were a lot of CAE UHD demonstration at IBC, which means that everybody now can demonstrate and hopefully sell CAE for UHD. I think you, as I mentioned in my uh, introduction on the guidelines, still have a lot to do on high frame rate, 1080p, maybe 100, 120. We have a lot to do on next generation audio with a true object-based experience for the consumer. And at the end of the day, we need to remove all those wrinkles. 
you saw the NFL quite smooth on the HDR on the MVPDs. You saw it quite not smooth on Roku and Apple TV. And I feel that the forum, I'm taking my forum hat again, has to help all those operators who are doing uh, wrong moves, taking the wrong device, the wrong HDR on the wrong device is not helping the industry. And of course, we need to minimize the consumer frustration. For me, Ultra HD, we have the technology. We start to have the content. We need now to get the consumer line and we cannot show them something that either doesn't work you know, Terry, I want to ask you, yeah, I, yeah, sorry, sorry for interrupting your train of thought, but, but we didn't cover this and I, and I think it's so important. And you just said that there's this educational component, especially to the service providers, um, uh, around things such as, you know, HDR standards and what's supported in the ecosystem. And going back to last Thursday night's game, the thing that boggled my mind, and I'm still, and somebody must know the answer. Maybe you do. If you do, please tell us if you can. How could these smart companies who were spending months testing this 4K HDR how could they not know that Roku does not support HLG? How could they not know that? I, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm baffled. I'm, I'm just completely baffled because these are smart companies. These are smart people. These are, you know, we all know many of the people were involved. And was it just that there was so much to do? They just literally forgot to ask the question, which maybe that's the answer, but I don't believe that either. Well, I, I have not, I've not seen the manifest that was uh, basically sent to the Roku box. I assume there was an SDR version because if it goes to an Apple device, well, you if you go to an Apple yes. device, you know you cannot do 2160p60 NHDR. So Apple needs an SDR version. So I assume... Fox put an HDR version and everybody was expected to see an HLG on or let's say an HDR effect, which was not possible. Uh, if you ask me as an industry uh, um, veteran, what I would have done is to say, okay, this is the profile for Roku, which is an HDR 10. And by the way, Harmonic is coming today, the NASA channel with 400k uh, download in HDR 10 to the Roku box. And this works. And the second thing you should have done is probably if you want to have an HDR effect on the Apple TV, you need to down convert it to 1080p HDR 10 for Apple TV device that will be converted by the TV uh, for the display. So I think they didn't do the full exercise. Uh, what makes me sad is Fox is a member of the forum, so they have access to this information. I just believe that there are many silos, there's the Disney Fox merger, maybe some people who knew are no more here. Let's say, I think the first attempt was not successful, as it is a weekly event. I hope the next attempt will be more successful. Yes, yes, I, I I agree. I mean, clearly they're going to learn, and you know, and there's growing pains. You know, this this is a new thing, and you know, so we're in no way are we, um, you know, um, uh, throwing stones or you know throwing anyone under the bus or you know, but it's just that that was one of the things that stood out in this whole thing that just kind of boggled my mind. You know, like wow, how is that possible? Um, uh, it, so maybe to give you some insider because you always want to give uh, insider's view. So there is now a very strong reflection inside of the Ultra HD forum on what should we do beyond our zone of comfort writing guidelines and for instance maybe have a, a table of what are the device capabilities and make it available to people because what you also see is that the uh, uh, influencers who are not very technical start to post on the, uh, the Twitter, LinkedIn, all kinds of statements which are not correct. Mm. So we all mm. educate the influencers. And I know, that's Mark, right. you are very... And, and that, again, goes, goes back to what Mark said about educating the service providers because the UHD Alliance is educating consumers, but the UHD Forum's mission is to educate the service providers and not only 
uh, write those guidelines, as you said, but also post more information about compatibility and how to use the guidelines and, uh, and uh, you know, help, help people be ready for those. Problems. And we also need to educate the public or at least the influencers in our industry so that they know exactly what are the challenges at stake. And, and Mark, I hope you will be able to join more of our communication groups in order to have this type of conversation. Because if the public, the B2B public is not well educated, then the rumor will be, oh, HDR, we try, it doesn't yes, work. that's right. And that would be bad for all of us, you know, and that's what we all want to all avoid is, is that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and the, the right way to do it is to do that inside the virtual HD firm because we have all the expertise. We have the production people, we have distribution people, we have some chip companies and some device companies in the set that I think are very aware of the problem. So hopefully we'll be able to, uh, to get uh, this fixed in the coming months. Yeah, that's great. So basically, if you look into the future, uh, we can expect more pixels and more frames per second and better color experience and, and overall a better experience for the end user, but only if all the players along the value chain of delivering that experience will work together and uh, will consider those uh, guidelines and make sure that everything uh, they deliver is um, uh, suited or transformed for uh, specific devices which uh, consumers are using. And when they say 4K and HDR, they can uh, actually um, uh, ensure that uh, the, that level of experience um, exists in uh, in the services uh, they provide, and uh, eventually, you know, we'll all be happy because, as video insiders, we like very much uh, to see those experience in 4K, 60 FPS, HDR on our OLED TVs. Um, right, Mark? That's what we do all day: watch videos. Okay, Terry, it's been wonderful hosting you today. Uh, really enlightening talk, and I want to thank you for uh, joining the Video Insiders. Uh, wh what I would like to do first, thank you uh, for inviting me today. And if uh, our listeners are really interested in what we discuss, and they say, well, th these people seem to be grounded, they, they, they look like they know what they're talking about, look at the UtrHD Forum website, UtrHDForum.org, check what we do and if you're interested just apply to become a member because we need more people as you can see uh, there's a lot of work to be done before we touch the 8k well great well thank you Thierry uh, it's uh, as we said it's a real uh, pleasure working alongside you and the forum and all the other forum members and um, for our listeners as Thierry said um, you know we invite you to come check out the forum go to the website it's ultrahdforum.org and uh, you can learn all about um, uh, the guidelines you can access the guidelines you can um uh, there's just a lot of resources there. So, uh, all right. Until next time, what do we say, Drawer? Happy encoding. Happy encoding. All right. Everybody. All right. Have a great day, everyone. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the Video Insiders Podcast, a production of Beamer Limited. To begin using Beamer's Codex today, go to beamer.com forward slash free to receive up to 100 hours of no-cost HEVC and H264 transcoding every month.